So I want to talk to you for a while this morning on let us go up. And we see a tremendous example of this in Numbers, the 13th chapter, in the first verse. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Notice with me, the land was given because God said so. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. And then we drop down to verse 17. And it says, And Moses sent twelve spies out to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the mountain, and see the land what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. Verse 19, And the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, and whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of a good courage. Everyone say, be a good courage. And bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. In verse 21, so they did go up. And then dropping down to verse 23, they came unto the brook Ascol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bare it between two upon a staff, and they brought up of the pomegranates and of the figs. And the place was called the brook of Eschol, because of the cluster of grapes, which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after forty days. And they came to Moses and to Aaron, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, under the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word unto them, and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land." And they told him and said, We've come into the land whither thou sentest, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, nevertheless, we need to be very careful about neverthelesses. <clears throat> nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and of very great stature. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The word nevertheless means in spite of, nonetheless, even so, however, but still yet though. These guys were nervous. <clears throat> in verse 29, And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Termites dwell in the mountain. That still works. Hallelujah. After all these years. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now notice in verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people. You see, there was an uproar of fear. There was an uproar of doubt and unbelief. Caleb heard it. And Caleb got hold of this, that you must be quiet. So he stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Another translation says, we are well able to take possession of the land. Now the reason why Caleb was able to say that, he could say that because God already said it. We will never get in trouble saying what he said. When we say what, we, what he said, we can have what we say. Because the Lord has said, by His stripes you were healed. You can declare, by His stripes I am healed. Because the Lord said, I will meet your need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can boldly declare, He meets my every need. He is my shepherd and I shall not want. You see, find out what He said.
and believe what he said and say what he said and you then will be able to have what you say. Amen? Amen. Can you say amen? So his words then are enablements. God said, you're able. We're said, they said, we're not able. This tells you and I that the will of God is dependent on our aligning our words and our believer with his word. Amen? So what they did, the 10 out of the 12, and really their descendants, they talked themselves right out of their inheritance. Can we do that? A lot of people are doing that today. I know God said, but. I know God said, nevertheless. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God has given all of us the ability that we will ever need to receive and to partake of our inheritance. In Colossians, the first chapter and the 12th verse, I want you to read it with me. <clears throat> Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That word meet there is an old English word, and we get the word able from it, or enabled. We have been enabled by God, by Him placing faith on the inside of us, to partake of the inheritance that belongs to us today. And I am persuaded, and I am confident, that we will as a church. Could we get a little stronger on that? <coughs> I am fully persuaded that we will fill all, fulfill all the will of God here at Heart of the Bay. Until the trumpet sounds, until our race is over, we are going to fulfill God's will. That's corporately. But I know that in, many of us in this room will also fulfill the will of God. Say it with me. That's me, that's me, that's me. In verse 32, and they brought back an evil report. An evil report is the opposite of a good report. And they brought back an evil report of the land, which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and that all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. Whoever said anything about grasshoppers? God didn't say you're grasshoppers. God said you're more than conquerors. God said, let us go up at once and possess the land. But fear will shrink you down to size. Fear will, will shrink you from being a giant of faith to a grasshopper in your own sight. And so we need to then make sure that we do not operate in fear and doubt, but we operate in faith. Amen? See, what happened is this, is their fear and their unbelief framed the way they saw themselves. You and I have the privilege to frame our world with faith-filled words. If you do not like what you're experiencing in your life, change the way you think. Change what you are believing. Change what you are speaking. It doesn't matter what other people said about you when you grew up. How many of you know people on the way to growing up in our lives, sometimes they didn't speak right words over us. 
But God will always speak right words over your life. And he's waiting for us to say what he said because he is the one who's watching over his word to perform it. Now let's be real about it. If we're going to go up and possess the land, if we're going to have a future of increase and a future of blessing in our lives, it requires a no fear tolerance policy. One person said it like this, that fear tolerated is faith contaminated. You know, you don't notice in the word of God that the word fear not is used over and over again. In Isaiah, the 41st chapter in the 10th verse, I want you to notice this and read it with me if you would, please. Isaiah 41:10. he says, fear not, there is nothing to fear. Why? Who's with us? The great I am is with us. Then he said, do not look around you in terror and be dismayed for I'm your God. I'm with you and I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. You know, the Lord's helping us a whole lot more than we realize. He's helping us right now. He's helping me and he's helping you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of rightness and justice. So when God tells us not to be afraid, we then should not allow ourselves to fear. Why is this? Well, because 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. Let's look at that verse. 2 Timothy 1.7, read this with me. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing, fawning fear, but He's given us the spirit of power and a love and of a calm and well-balanced mind of discipline and self-control. I like that. Point at yourself and say, no fear here. No fear in my life. Now, what is the opposite of fear? The opposite of fear is faith. Well, if God didn't give us the spirit of fear, when we got born again, he gave us something else. The opposite of fear is faith. We don't have the spirit of fear. We have the spirit of faith. Amen. Amen. You and I right now have the same spirit of faith that David had when he took Goliath down. You and I right now have the same spirit of faith that the children of Israel had when they walked around Jericho's wall and shouted. We have the same spirit of faith. And this spirit of faith is not a spirit of defeat. This spirit of faith is not a spirit of doom. It's not a spirit of depression. This spirit of faith that's on the inside of you is, in fact, the spirit of victory. We have the spirit of victory. And in 1 John 5, 4, it says this, For whatsoever is born of God. How many here today are born of God? Well, if you're not born of God, we can make sure you are born of God before you leave. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Amen. So then, 
Fear will try to keep you down here. But faith will cause you to rise up and to go up and enter in and possess your land. I say unto you today, let us not stay here and live in fear. But let us rise up. Let us go up. Let us step in. Let us step up and possess our land. Amen. Somebody says, what do you mean possess our land? Your land could be your home. Your land could be your children coming to Christ. Your land could be debt free. Whatever your land is, it's covered by the word of God. So let us not stay down here, but let's rise up and be of good cheer and know that the land is ours. Amen. I think that's good preaching. Amen, Pastor Mark. Good preaching, brother. Now here's what we need to do then. Because fear is an enemy and fear tries to keep us out. How many of you know doubt will try to keep you out? This is why in Ephesians 4.27, I want you to look at this scripture. In Ephesians 4.27, it's your your responsibility and my responsibility to do this verse. Now read it. It's a very simple verse. Ready, read. Neither give place. Don't give him any place. Now the main area that he wants place in is your mind. And that's why sometimes he bombards us with thoughts, even feelings, even suggestions, and even imaginations that are contrary to what we believe down here. Now don't get upset because your mind is having thoughts and your mind is having images contrary to the word of God. Don't get upset. But on the other hand, don't entertain them. Don't give place to them. Don't sit around and think all day and see the wrong thing all day, but rather take the word, take the name, take the blood, take the power of the Holy Spirit and do what? Cast down imaginations. That's where imaginations belong. Imaginations belong right down here with fear. Imaginations, suggestions, thoughts and feelings contrary to the word of God belong down here with fear under your feet. So don't give him any place. Don't give him any place with your words. Take your place and take your authority and put the devil on the run. Now the way that you do that is you do James 4, 7. First of all, you sell out to God. You sell out to God. In James, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. When I submit myself to God and you submit yourself to God, it positions you to take your place over the enemy. When you do that, you resist the devil. And what will happen? He will flee from you. The word flee there means he will run from you as in tear. So what are you saying today, Pastor Mark? I'm saying don't let fear and don't let those things keep you out. As a matter of fact, let's look at one more verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. You guys listen so good, you're part of the speed class. Amen. Got my words mixed up there, but that's all good. Be sober. Be vigilant. 
Why? Because you have an adversary. And he doesn't take a day off. So you can't afford to take a day off. You cannot afford to just coast through life. Because you have an adversary. Now you don't have to fear this adversary. But right on the other hand, you should not be ignorant of his devices. Amen? Because you have an adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. And what does he do? He walks about seeking whom he may devour. The ones that he loves to devour are the ones that are yielding to fear. The ones that he loves to devour are the ones that are yielding to doubt and unbelief. Now notice with me. He walks about as a roaring lion. It doesn't say he is a roaring lion. But I know another lion. I said I know another lion. And you know who that lion is? That lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, the son of the living God. He is the lion of the tribe of praise. Amen. Amen. And so he walks about seeking whom he may devour. Now notice verse 8. Here's our part. Whom resist. This word resist means to oppose him. To stand against him. Whom resist steadfast. This word steadfast means to be firm It means to be rigid. We need to be rigid where resisting the enemy comes in. We need to be firm and steady and very stable where the enemy comes in. Resist him. Now notice this. Steadfastly in the faith. Now one translation says this. Are you ready for a good revelation? It says resist him steadfast with your faith. Now, what does that mean to me? That means that I don't have to go around calling everybody in the 510, the 925, the 916, the 612 area code and calling them and telling them to resist the devil for me. No, because God has placed on the inside of me faith. And with my faith, I can resist him in Jesus name. Amen. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you need prayer, you need some prayer buddies. If you need someone to add their faith to your situation, praise God, call them up. But I tell you what, in the midnight hour, at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's good to know that you have faith. And with your faith, you can put the devil on the run. Somebody say amen. So don't let fear keep you out of your full inheritance. And there's another one that I want to talk about today and they don't have this up there so if you would turn to Philippians the 12th the third chapter and notice with me in verses 12 through 14 and we're going to look at the amplified version did you know that there's an upward call on us there's an upward call in your life individually there's an upward call see God's calling us upward God's calling us upward And the Spirit of God, you'll find this out in your life, He's continually beckoning us to go higher. To go higher. Why is that? Because He is the God of the much, much more. He is the God of greater things. Amen? Now, Paul recognized that and knew that, 
But Paul in his writing here in Philippians chapter 12 through 14, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 in the Amplified, will begin right there. He said, not that I have attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of and to grasp and to make my own. That for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made me his own. Aren't you glad he made you his own? Listen to this. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the epistles of the New Testament. And yet he said this, I haven't arrived. How many of you know today that you haven't arrived? But we're on our way. Singing and shouting the victory. And so there's so much more to know. There's so many more heights that God wants us to go to. And Paul said this, my determined purpose is that I may may know him and that I may lay hold of what he's laid hold of me for. Now notice verse 13. Would you read this with me, please? I don't consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet. But one thing I do... It is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. If you've got some things in your past that you need to let go, let them go. If you've got some things in your past that are holding you back, just forget them and let them go and strain forward to what lies ahead. You will never possess what lies ahead until you let go of what lies behind. And that's a word right there. Some of you have been penancing yourself and dragging yourself through the mud because of your past. I believe the word of God is this. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to you. Just rise up, praise God, and walk in your righteousness and walk in the new creation realities and forget and let go of the past. So Paul said, this is my one aspiration. I'm forgetting the past. I'm reaching for the future. Paul had this determined purpose. He said, I'm going to finish my course. I'm going to finish my course. How many of you know God's got a race for you? Incidentally, make sure that in the race that God has got for you, that you are on your mark. Not that you are on someone else's mark. I heard Robert Maydew preach a great message called On Their Mark. That a lot of Christians get on other people's mark and they start comparing themselves with the people around them. You need to be on your mark. You need to run your race for the glory of God. That's just a little side journey. Look at your neighbor and say, on your mark, please. Paul said, I'm going to finish my course. See, you all have a lane. And if I get overly enthused and jealous about the lane Caleb's in, I'm going to be looking over here. And my spikes are going to trip up. And I'm going to fall and get injured. Listen, folks. God's got a race for you. God's got a lane for you. Somebody say, I'm going to run it. 
and I'm going to finish my course. Glory to God. Listen, folks, your course does not have to finish you. You can finish your course. And you can run your race with patience. And I love Brenda. She got up this morning and tried to get us to rejoice. Amen. About a tenth of us did. But what do you say right now? We rejoice. Amen. Because we're going to finish our course. Amen. Hallelujah. Paul had a very colorful past. He tortured Christians. He didn't just make fun of them. He killed them. Why is this revelation of forgetting our past so important? He had to leave behind and grasp why God's, why God's hand was upon him. He had to settle it on the inside of him. He had to say something like this. God's hand is upon me. God's hand is upon me for good. I'm no longer an unworthy worm. I'm not the man I used to be. I am a brand new creation. I am called, I'm anointed, and I'm appointed by God. Good word, isn't it? Somebody says, well, I really messed up. Join the club. Don't live in the messed up land. Live in the land of, he's making a message out of me. Amen? Glory to God. You see, Paul could have never preached the gospel or fulfilled his ministry if he had lived in regret. Lived in regret. And neither can I, and neither can you. I believe it's time to leave the city of regret. We need, the, we need to leave the should'ves, the would'ves, the could'ves. The past is gone, and it should be forgotten. Verse 14, read it with me. Glory to God. Verse 14 says, read it. I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus So there's a press. There's a press to walk by faith and not by sight. There's a press for us to keep our eye on the prize. There is a press to keep an eternal perspective that God is calling us upward. I'm glad, Caleb, he didn't say he's calling us downward. He's calling us upward. Where are we going, heart of the bay? We're going up. Where are you going? I'm going up. Where are we going? We're going up. Hallelujah. I'm not going to say that. I almost said some of you look like you don't want to go nowhere. But I didn't say it. I almost said it, right? (laughs) We're going up. We're going up. You got to let go of the past to go up. You got to resist fear to go up. You got to be a diligent Christian to go up. I'm going up. Who'll go with me? Who'll go with me? Well, they said, Pastor Mark, 68 years old. How long can he last? I can last as long as God has me last. Amen. He's got lasting power. He's got enduring power. Hallelujah. We're going up. 
sustaining power. Will anybody go with Brenda and I? Will anybody go with Pastor Tom and Kimberly? Will anybody go with Pastor Nancy? Will anybody go with Brian and Linda? What do you say we just all go up together? What do you say we just all go up together? The future is bright. Amen. Now go to Joshua 18, verses 1 through 3. Joshua 18, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to try not to preach over three hours. That was a very polite laugh. Thank you. Joshua 18, verses 1 through 3. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh, and they set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, And the land was subdued before them. This was later on. The land was taken. The land was conquered. You see, the land had already been conquered. Their full inheritance was now available to them. And this inheritance included all of their covenant benefits. But notice verse 2. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. In verse 3, And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go and possess the land, which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? In other words, the word slack means, why are you postponing this? Why are you putting this off? Why are you wasting time? The word slack also carries with it this thought, to be sluggish, And to be lazy, to be negligent, to be neglectful, to be lax, to be remiss. Faith, my brothers and sisters, doesn't waste time. Faith prepares. Faith gets ready. Faith prepares. Faith gets ready to go up at once. Listen, folks, faith is not lazy. It isn't lazy. Here's what the message says. It says, now how long are you going to sit around on your hands? Putting off, I know the Lord will do it someday. I know I'll start tithing someday. I know my body will be healed someday. Someday, someday, someday. Folks, someday many times never comes. Faith is now. How long are you going to sit around in your hands? Putting off taking possession of the land that God, the God of your ancestors, has given unto you. All they had to do, my brothers and sisters, was take it. And you and I have an inheritance. In Galatians 4, 7, it says, If you're a child, then you're also an heir with complete access to your inheritance. You are an heir of God. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And the grace of God has been established and faith gives you access into this grace. Faith gives you access into this inheritance. Amen. Amen. That you be not slothful. Be not slothful but that you be followers 
of them who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Don't be sluggish, but follow them who follow God. Listen, follow them who have already gone up. Because those who have already gone up know the way up. Associate with those who have already gone into the promised land. I know we are all in the promised land, but for several, it's by faith. That's true. But oh, thank God, surround yourself with people. Surround yourself with the right associations of people that have not just preached this, but that have done it. And that they, through faith and patience, they've inherited the promise. And they're all over the body of Christ. There are people that I know that I follow very closely because I desire what they have. Not necessarily materially, but I desire the kind of commitment. I desire the kind of faith that others have. Say it with me. Let us go up and possess the land. Hallelujah. In Psalm 23, verse 5. Are you getting anything yet today? Psalm 23, verse 5 says, He prepares a table before us. Where? Listen, folks. This table, this inheritance that He's prepared for you is not necessarily in heaven. It is in heaven, but it's also here on earth. Otherwise, He wouldn't say, I've given you a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Now, this inheritance that we're talking about is the full scope of God's provision for you. Spirit, soul, and body. Now, the truth of the matter is, is sometimes God has difficulty getting His kids to come to the table. You know, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I had two brothers, and my one brother was closer than the oldest brother. But we'd play in the neighborhood and we'd play baseball in baseball season, football in football season. Didn't matter whether there was snow on the ground. We loved snow on the ground because it made tackling football a little bit softer on you. (laughs) When it was basketball season, we were playing basketball. We had friends all over the neighborhood. But then my mom would have dinner and she said, Come on, Mark, Tim, dinner time! You know, and we didn't always heed that. We could say that she had a difficult time getting us to the table. And I think that that's the way it is with the Father's table. I tell you, there's a call to go up. There's a call to come to the table and eat this six-course meal of strength, of healing, of joy, of prosperity. All of the blessings of God are on God's table. But I'm persuaded that he doesn't have a difficult time with this bunch coming to the table I mean you go to the men's breakfast the other day there wasn't one piece of bacon left they took it all if you were at the women's brunch there was not any food left they took it all and I believe the word of God for us today is take it all come to the table and take it all you know like I said I grew up in the north Brenda grew up in the south it was north, south, glory to God, hallelujah. But I didn't, I didn't eat a lot of the food they ate in the south. I just thought there was mashed potatoes, gravy, and roast beef. That was about it. And a salad every now and then. 
But up in Minnesota, it was many times wilted because of the weather. But when I married Brenda, she would call me and say, come on down to the farm for Thanksgiving meal. This is before we were married. And she had about 30 or 40 relatives there for that meal. And I discovered this, that those 30 or 40 relatives didn't, didn't come to the dinner. They come a day or two before, and they made pallets and slept all over the floor. I never knew what a pallet was until I met Brenda. But I tell you, on that table, and it's getting lunch near lunchtime, right? Well, let me say this. You can just about imagine what was on that table. I mean, everything good, everything delicious. And when they'd call you to the table, they had no difficulty, those 30 or 40 relatives coming to the table. They were submerging on the table. How much more when God calls us to come to the table? Should we come to the table ready to eat, ready to feast, ready to partake? Amen? Take it all. Say it with me. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't leave anything on the table. Just claim what's yours. Possess it and claim it and take it as your rightful place as an owner. Amen. Amen. Last verse, Mark 11, verse 24. Let's go up. Say with me, I'm going up. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Anybody have any desires? If you'll delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. What things soever you desire, when you pray, now notice this, believe that you receive them, and what will happen? Now the word receive there means take. God has placed on the inside of us the ability to take or we could say it like F.F. F. Bosworth says, the faith that takes. Amen. Take it when you pray. Take everything that God has provided for you. I say by the word of the Lord to this church and to us individually, let's go up. Let's go up. The future is bright. Let's be diligent. Let us not be slack. Amen. Glory to God. I think that's enough for this morning. Amen. That's my anniversary message. I hope you, I hope you enjoyed it. Praise God. God is good. Hallelujah.